Grace and peace to you, friends. Welcome to The Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oaks, and this is the Encyclopedia Challenge. Uh, first, I just want to thank everyone uh, for the bonus podcast, uh, for contributing to the words. Um, if you haven't listened to the bonus podcast yet, uh, go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select bonus, and the link is in the bonus video number three. Um, and I had a, uh, I had a lot of fun. I hope you had fun with it too. Had a lot of fun with the words that were submitted and I appreciate those of you who submitted words. Um, just a quick thank you again to, uh, Mason, Janice and Vincent and, oh, and also anonymous. <laughs> we did have someone named anonymous, uh, which was, a uh, I'm chuckling because it was, it was hilarious. Um, and fun. It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so I want to appreciate, I appreciate everyone. And if you want another bonus, uh, deep dive podcast, uh, let me know, go to contact me on the oak tree And if you want another, if you want uh, more deep dive words, uh, let me know what word and it can be anonymous. And I thought it was quite clever, um, for anonymous to choose the word that he or she chose. Um, so if you're curious about that, and I hope you are, and you haven't heard it yet, go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select bonus, and there you'll find the bonus podcast, and it is only on the podcast. Uh, and if you need a link to your favorite podcast, uh, go to the podcast link, and I've got several different podcast links um, for that. Okay, and... Uh, if you are new to this uh, channel, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we appreciate it and welcome. Uh, and if you may be wondering, though, what is the Encyclopedia Challenge? And that would be a good question. Um, this is for anyone who loves words. Um, and if you ever wanted to read the entire encyclopedia, but you don't have the time, um, don't worry, I read the encyclopedia to you. And if you want to hear me uh, mispronounce words, we have a lot of fun here. <laughs> I have little comments here and there. Sometimes it's just a simple cool or that's neat. Um, and I do mispronounce a lot of words. And But it's fun. Um, I'm enjoying it and I hope you're enjoying it as well. Okay, and if you are on the YouTube clip, uh, you may see our monthly quote. Uh, if you remember, uh, we I have started some monthly quotes. Our first monthly quote was by Elon Musk. And it kind of puts, it kind of reminds me of the Hunger Games. Um, but let, let, me, let me go ahead and read Elon Musk's quote really quickly. When something is important enough, you do it even if the odds are not in your favor. So anyone who's read or watched the Hunger Games, uh, you know what that yeah, why that reminds me of it. And our last month quote was by Pope, and that was strength of mind is exercise, not rest. Okay, and our quote of this month, so this is September 5th, and uh, the quote for this month is by Jim Quick, and it's in his book Limitless. If you haven't read it yet, go ahead and read it. Jim Quick is great. 
I would look him up if you don't know who he is. Uh, just go ahead and, and take a... After you listen to the podcast, of course, uh, look him up. He's pretty cool. Anyway, his quote is, One of my core beliefs is that human potential is one of the only infinite resources we have in the world. Most everything else is finite, but the human mind is the ultimate superpower. There is no limit to our creativity, imagination, determination, or ability to think, reason, or learn. And that's by Jim Quick from his book, Limitless. So go ahead and get his book, Limitless. Okay. And uh, if if it's a little echoey, uh, I want to apologize for that. I did have to record this uh, several times uh, because it was just way too echoey. I've switched rooms, um, but I'm in a cabin. I'm taking a mini vacation, and by the time this posts... I'll be back, Uh, but uh, I wanted to visit some family members and had a great, great time. Uh, Very excited. I get to spend more time with them tomorrow. Well, it'll be, you know, it'll be Friday, (laughs) Uh, but uh, yeah, that'll have passed by the time this posts. Anyway, I'm having a great time, and uh, I just wanted to to apologize if it is still echoey. I'm doing the best I can by switching rooms, but you know, there's only so much you can do in a bigger house. All right, let's go on to our encyclopedia words. Now, we are going strictly uh, for the first five words uh, before break. Um, we are strictly in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And we don't have very many from our other dictionary, uh, the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Um, for the for today, um, but let's go ahead and go to the 1909, the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary, and our first word is adore, and that's not a d o r e, that's a d o u r, and to me it looks like a dower, um, but it it's saying it's pronounced adore, and that is a river in France rises near. Tourmalet, in the Department of the Upper Pyrenees, waters in its course of 200 miles, the Department of Jers, and the fertile part of the Department lands, and enters the Atlantic below Bayon. It receives several tributaries and is navigable to the extent of 80 miles. Bagonniers de Bigor, celebrated for its hot baths, is situated on the Adore. And our second word for today is Adoa. Adoa. And that is a town of Abyssinia, the capital of Tiger, 145 miles northeast from Gondor. Or Gondor. Uh, sounds a little Lord of the Rings-ish. <laughs> it is situated partly on the slope and partly at the base of a hill on the left bank of the Hazem, a feeder of the Atbara, which is a large branch of the Nile. The houses are of the conical form common in Abyssinia, regularly disposed in streets and mingled with gardens and trees. It is the chief intrapot of trade between the interior of Tiger and the coast. It has an extensive transit trade in which gold, ivory, and slaves are articles of importance. It is also manufactures of cotton fabrics and iron and brass wares. Population estimated at about 8,000. So that's 8,000 in the early 1900s. 
or late 1800s. Okay, and the next word is a down. So a down. And it means downward from a higher to a lower situation. Okay, and the next word is ad pressed. So ad pressed is adverb in botany, closely pressed to a surface as some hairs or as leaves to a stem, pressed close to anything, also spelt, it says spelt, oppressed. So we have ad pressed, so it's A is an apple, D is in David, and then oppressed, which is A is an apple, P is in Peter. So it's ad pressed or app pressed. Okay. And our last word before break is adra which is ancient Abdera. And that is a seaport town of Spain in the province of Almeria and 49 miles southeast from Granada. It is situated on the shore of the Mediterranean at the mouth of the Adra. The ancient Abdera, founded by the Phoenicians, was on a hill at the base of which the modern town stands, in a situation unhealthy on account of swamps. The port is not good, being much exposed to the west. The houses are generally of one story. There is one tolerably wide street. The rest are narrow and ill-paved. From the watchtower of Adra in former times, a toxin sounded an alarm on the approach of African pirates. Lead mines in the neighborhood, or lead mines in the neighborhood, give employment to many of the inhabitants and trade to the port. Among the other exports are grapes, wheat, and sugar. Fishing and the distillation of brandy are carried on. Population 12,000. Okay, and with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. And before we get to our next word, which is our sixth word for today, I just want to mention there's a lot of strange noises going on. I think it might be the hot tub. Um... But it's almost, well, we've got about 45 minutes till midnight. And it's just a little creepy. Uh, but you, you know how you go into a new house uh, or an apartment or uh, just somewhere you're not used to the noises yet. Uh, that's what's going on now. <laughs> uh, but I've got to get used to it because I found out. Um, now, this week has been kind of an emotional roller coaster for me because I found out on Sunday after church that I have to move out. With my little fur baby, um, which is fine. Uh, I've got a I've got a place that I was gonna fix up for something else, but um, and I was just gonna take my time. But the plans have changed, and I've got to fix it up for me <laughs> now. Um, but yeah, it's just been an emotional roller coaster, and I know I've got to start getting used to hearing strange noises. Um, but, uh, yeah, this, this cabin has some strange noises I'm just not used to yet. I was too tired last night to, to pay any attention to them. But now it's just like, what? What's that? What's that? Even my little dog's like, what's that? Yeah. So we're both kind of jumping around on edge. But anyway, let's go ahead and get to our next word, which is adrenal. And that's an adverb. It means connected with the kidneys, the suprarenal capsules. And next we have adrenal glands, which just says see suprarenal glands. Okay, our eighth 
word is adrenaline. And I just realized I missed this word while I was typing this out. Um, so we're probably going to have an extra word. <laughs> and, and that'll be okay. So instead of 50 words, it looks like we're going to have... 51 and let me just make a note here um, so that way our list will be right uh, in the uh, encyclopedia challenge word list okay so I've got adrenaline noun the proprietary name of an extract made from the adrenal or suprarenal body it causes marked contraction of the muscular walls of the arteries, a property taken advantage of to arrest hemorrhage, or to drive the blood away from mucous surfaces upon which an operation is to be performed. It is also used as a local application to the interior of the nostrils in acute coryza and especially in hay fever. It has also been used in the treatment of Addison's disease with occasional benefit and as a cardiac stimulant in cases of heart failure during the administration of an anesthetic. Okay. And next we have Adrian, um, which there are three different entries for Adrian. Now we're about to read the longest entry. So Adrian, Michigan City and county seat of Lenawee County. Adrian's first name was Logan. It was founded in 1825 by Addison J. Comstock, incorporated as a village in 1828, and as a city in 1833. Situated on the Raisin River, 30 miles from Toledo and 59 miles from Detroit, at intersection of Lake Shore, Wabash, and Detroit Southern RRs, the branch lines of Lake Shore to Jackson, to Detroit, and to Fayette, Ohio terminate here. Commerce and Manufactures Adrian has extensive foundry and machine shops and a large flouring mill. The Adrian Manufacturing Company, the American Electric Fuse Company, the Bond Still Post Company, the Clothen Warren Company, and the Springbrook Brewing Company are, are, are all large and flourishing concerns. Adrian saw the beginning of the woven wire fence industry, which was established here by J. Wallace Page in 1886. The Page Wire Fence Company was the pioneer in wire fence industry, and its output in 1904 was 17,543 miles of fence. Goodness. And with thousands of iron gates employing in factories and mills 1,627 men. Another large fence company is the Lamb Wire Fence. Its output was $1 million for 1904 with 150 employees and running 25 fence looms. The Adrian, the Lion, and several other new companies are also manufacturers of wire fence. The factories of the Anthony and Globe Fence Companies are not far from Adrian. Capital used in the wire fence industry at Adrian is about $3,500,000, and the number of men employed is about 1,000. Banks there are four state banks with combined capital and surplus of 456000 and deposits of $2,750,000. Education and religion. City has fine system of public schools with 2,700 pupils, 
and a public library of 20,000 volumes. Adrian College and a business college furnish higher education and business training. St. Joseph's Academy, a school for girls with 150 pupils, is conducted by the Sisters of the Order of St. Dominic. The Industrial Home for Girls, a state institution for education and reformation of juvenile female offenders, is located here with 353 inmates. Wow, so there are more juvenile female offenders than go to school at St. Joseph's Academy in the early 1900s. That's not a good sign. There are many fine church edifices and a fine YMCA building. Oh, I didn't realize YMCA was that old. Okay. Government population, etc. The city government is by mayor and board of 12 aldermen. Adrian has a system of sewerage, waterworks, and electric lights, paving, public steam, heating, electric streetcar line, and a few fine post office and a fine new post office building. So the population in 1904 was 10,680. Okay, our second entry for the term Adrian the name of six popes, none of them very remarkable. So why even mention them? <laughs> Adrian the Fourth was by birth an Englishman, the only one of that nation that ever sat in the papal chair. His name was Nicholas Breakspear. Not Shakespeare, but Breakspear. He was a native of Langley near St. Albans, became first a lay brother or servant in the monastery of St. Rufus near Avignon was elected abbot 1137, appointed cardinal bishop of Albino 1146, and chosen pope in 1154. He was at first on friendly terms with Emperor Frederick I, but his conception of papal supremacy led him to enter on the long contest against the house of Hohenstaufen, and he was about to, to excommunicate Frederick when he died 1159. Well, it sounds like he was an interesting person, at least to me. Okay, and the last entry for Adrian uh, just says Roman Emperor, see Hadrian. So that's Hadrian with an H as in Henry, or Hadrian. <laughs> okay, and so for our next word, or entry, we are going to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. And that is Adrian, comma, Edgar Douglas, or Edgar Douglas Adrian. He was an English physiologist, born London, November 30th of 1889. He was educated at the Westminster School and Trinity College, Cambridge, where he obtained his MA degree in 1915. After a term as lecturer in physiology in Cambridge University from 1920 to 1929, he was Fullerton Research Professor of the Royal Society from 1929 to 1937, and he became Professor of Physiology at Cambridge University in 1937. During World War I, he served as Captain in the Royal Army Medical Corps. In 1932, he shared the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine with Sir Charles Sherrington for their joint discoveries relating to the function of the neurons. Ooh, I like the neurons. He was also the recipient of numerous honorary degrees, awards, and medals from universities and learned societies. 
He was the author of the basis of sensation. <laughs> the author of the basis of sensation, New York, nineteen twenty-eight. The mechanism of nervous action, Philadelphia, nineteen thirty-two. And the physical background of perception, New York, nineteen forty-seven. Okay. And the next term um, actually should have been, uh, this was my bad right here, uh, Adrian College actually should have been right after the third entry of Adrian. Um, totally my bad, though. <laughs> um, but we have Adrian College. Oh, no, actually, I was following... Okay, I see what I did. Um, no, that's not my bad. I was going in order uh, that I saw in the, the uh, Encyclopedia Americana. Okay, I see what I did. Okay, so Adrian College is in both the Encyclopedia Americana and uh, the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. Let's go to the 1909 first, and then we'll read from... The 1956. I hadn't originally planned on that, um, but I, I see what I did. Okay, so Adrian College, institution at Adrian, Michigan, under the control of the Methodist Protestant Church, founded with the election of 12 trustees by a meeting of subscribers for that purpose in 1859, March 22nd. The institution was under control of the Wesleyan Methodist Church, six of the trustees being members of that denomination, the other six being citizens of Adrian. The board of trustees was a self-perpetuating board. By reason of increasing financial difficulties, the institution passed 1867, February 28th, into the possession of the Methodist Protestant Church. The college has several distinct schools, each with its own faculty and course of study, leading to appropriate degrees, among them the College of Literature and Arts, School of Theology, School of Music, Normal School, I don't know what that is, but Normal School is on there, School of Commerce, Preparatory School. All the schools and classes are open to both sexes. The library contains about 7,000 volumes. Well, that's not very many. Also, there are in the libraries of the three literary, uh, not sure what that is, several hundred volumes. In 1906, there were 15 instructors and 175 students. Okay, so that is in 1909. Let's see what it was like in 1956. So Adrian College, located at Adrian, Michigan, is a co-educational liberal arts college under Methodist supervision. It was founded in 1845 under the auspices of the Wesleyan Methodist Group at Leone, Michigan. It was moved to Adrian in 1859 and has had continuous history since that time on its present site. On its 34-acre campus, it had in 1950, so this is 1950, 11 educational and residential buildings and 513 registered full-time students and additional music and part-time students to make the total for the year of 684 students. Special features of the college are its close community relationship and its student self-help program, in which most of the students participate to earn a part of their way. In a 10-year period, the students earned more than half a million dollars toward their own support. 
Well, that's pretty cool. Okay. And uh, so th that's pretty neat that it, it kind of pieced it together. So we had the 1909 and the 1956. 1909 gave more of the history. And so we got to see what it was still like in 1956. Okay. And let's go to our next entry, which is the 13th. Well, act well technically the 14th. Um, I'm going to have to fix my list better. So the 14th entry is Adrian of Costello, and for that one, we go strictly to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. Okay, so Adrian of Costello, Italian cardinal and scholar, born Cornetto, Tuscany, this is C, 1460, died, uh, I guess it's circa 1521, he was educated at Rome, sent in 1488 by Innocent VIII to Scotland to reconcile James III to his subjects. After that monarch's death at Socini Burn, he remained in England and was appointed his agent at Rome by Henry VII. Returning to England in 1489, he obtained in 1492 a prebend and a rectory. After Innocent's death in 1492, he returned to Rome and became prosecutor or secretary to Alexander VI, Borgia, and finally cardinal just before Alexander's death in 1503. The story that Alexander fell a victim to his own attempt to poison Adrian in order to inherit his great fortune is scouted by recent historians. In 1502, in his absence, Henry VII made him bishop of Hereford, and in 1504, Bishop of Bath and Wells. In 1517, he was involved in the plot of Cardinals Petrucci de Soli and Riorio to poison Leo X, confessed, and was absolved on condition of paying 25,000 ducats, though deprived of his cardinalate and English dignities. Well, I would say he would be deprived of that. He fled from Rome, however, lived in retirement till Leo's death in 1521, probably in Venice, and died suddenly on his way back to Rome, there being a suspicion that he was murdered by a servant. He is honorably remembered as one of the first who sought to rescue Latin from its medieval corruptions and restore it to purity. He wrote a religious treatise, De Vera Philosophia, the True Philosophy, in Bologna, 1507. De Sermon Latino at Modo Latin Lacinda, the Latin speech and mode of speaking Latin, a scholarly work published at Basel in 1513. Okay, and for our next entry, we go strictly to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, and uh, it's uh, Adrianople. So Adrianople is the second city in the Turkish Empire founded by the Emperor Hadrian on the left bank of the navigable river Hebrus, now Maritza. Here the sultans ruled from 1366 to 1453 when Constantinople was made the capital. Two palaces, 40 mosques, 24 public schools, 22 baths, and the numerous gardens laid out on the banks of the Maritza are the principal features of Adrianople. Its trade consists in opium, oil of roses, with silk and other manufacturers. The Russian-Turkish War was here concluded 1829, September 19th, by the Peace of Adrianople. 
which gave both countries important territory, and Russian troops occupied the city after capturing the Turkish army, defending the Shipka Pass in 1878 in January. The population was 81,000. Okay, and our next entry before break is Adriatic Sea. So Adriatic Sea, a large arm of the Mediterranean extending in a northwest direction between the east coast of Italy and the west coast of the opposite continent, connected with the Ionian Sea by the Strait of Otranto. In the north, it forms the Gulf of Venus, and in the northeast, the Gulf of Trieste. While on the Italian side, it forms the bays of Ravenna and Tremiti, and the narrow, narrow, <laughs> a deeper gulf of Manfredine. Let me try that again. Manfredonia. Manfredonia. Okay, there we go. On the other side, the coasts of Illyria, Croatia, Dalmatia, and Albania are steep, rocky, and barren and begirt with a chain of almost innumerable small rocky islands. The chief bay in this side is that of Cornero, south of the peninsula of Istria. The most considerable rivers flowing into the Adriatic Sea are the Adige and the Po, which are continually depositing soil on the coast, so that places once on the shore are now inland. The extreme saltiness of the Adriatic Sea is probably owing to the comparatively small quantity of fresh water poured into it by rivers. Navigation in the sea is safe and pleasant in summer, but in winter the northwest gales are formidable on account of the rocky and dangerous coasts of the on the east. Trist and Cano and Sinegaglia are the chief places of commerce. Okay, and with that, we will go to break. welcome back. So to even things out, uh, since we had an extra word that I missed um, before break, I've added an extra word. So instead of 51 words, we're going to have 52 words. And for this uh, next set of entries, we are going to stick with the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So our 17th word and I just realized I'm not on the right page for it. Um, our 17th word is adrift. Adrift means floating about at random, driven. So adrift. And next word we have adroit. So not adroid or adroid, adroit. So remember, uh, I believe it was last week we had something droit. Well, this is adroit, and it means clever in the use of the hands, ready-witted, dexterous. So, adroitly, in a ready, skillful manner, adroitness, readiness, dexterity, synonym of adroit, clever, skillful, expert, dexterous, ingenious, ready. So, that's pretty cool. I want to I'm actually going to star that word. Uh, may put it in my little red book of quotes because I just really like that word. Adroit. Okay, our next word is a dry. A dry. 
In Old English, it means thirsty, a thirst, and want of drink. Oh, that makes me thirsty just thinking about it. Okay, our next word is a rather big word, um, and it's adestitious. Adestitious. Okay, and it means added, assumed, taken as supplemental, and it's also adestitiously. And our next entry is ad script noun in Old English, one bound in service to a thing or place without power of removal as a slave or serf to the soil. Okay, so if you lived in uh, those times, you would uh, be considered an ad script. Okay, and the next entry is our 22nd word. It's adstriction, noun, so adstriction, and it means a biting, uh, <laughs> a binding fast or constipation. So if you're constipated, you're restricted. Okay, and then we have adularia, noun, and that means a transparent variety of potish felspar. See felspar. Okay, and then we have adulation, noun, servile flattery, praise in excess. So we all know those people. You know, I've, I've worked with quite a few uh, people who uh, praise in excess and servile flattery. Um, I'm sure you have too. <laughs> and feel free to, uh, if you want to tell me a story about it, um, someone who just gives too much adulation or I shouldn't say too much because that is the very definition of it, but someone who gives adulation, especially to higher ups or managers, send me a line, go to contact me. And if you want me to share it, let me know, go to the oak contact and just send me a line. Love hearing from you. And uh, before we go on to our next word, mostly because I lost my place, I uh, just want to thank you again. And uh, if you haven't listened to the bonus podcast yet um, from August 31st, I would highly suggest you do that, especially if you want to hear some really bad poetry. I mean, some bad poetry. Um, I read two poems from my teenage angst years. And uh, yeah, if you want to hear, hear that, uh, feel free to... Uh, Go to theoaktreeturneys.com and select bonus. And there's a link there um, under bonus number three, which is the Deep Dive Podcast. And that leads me to, uh, I mentioned the book Adam Homo. Um, and I say book, I thought it was, the definition, if you remember in the encyclopedia, was it was a poem. So I thought, oh, let's see what poem marks the end of the romanticism period or romantic period um and it's by frederick Pauladin Mueller. and uh i gotta tell you it is not a poem it is a book and it is 500 get this 514 pages i kid you not 514 pages um, I was going to do a bonus podcast of reading the poem. Um, that was until I actually received it. And it is a heavy, heavy book. It's paperback. 
super heavy. I got the one that was translated by Stephen I. Class. And uh, by the Twickenham Press in New York. I gotta tell you, it is super heavy. Um, and I was shocked whenever I saw how many pages it was. Um, just completely, completely shocked. And, uh, yeah, so. So, yeah, uh, we, we may, I may do something else instead of re reading the poem. Um, so I may read a few lines. I've already read the prologue and it's, it's pretty cool so far. Um, it's been a while since I've read a, a book that is nothing but poetry. And I don't mean a book of poetry that has like, uh, is it Emily Dickinson has all these poems in it. No, I mean a story told in poetry form. It's been a very long time since I've read that. Uh, so it'll take my brain a little while to get used to. Um, but it, it's actually kind of cool. Um, I'll be, I'm on Canto 1 now, so I read the prologue, and now I'm on Canto 1, um, which is considered page 7 so far. So anyway, if you want to, me to do a bonus uh, podcast uh, using this Adam Homo book, just let me know. Go to contact me at theoaktreejourneys.com. Uh, otherwise, I'll just read it for fun and maybe tell you about it here and there. Okay, so let's go on to our next entry, which is Adule, and that is an ancient town on the Red Sea. It was the port of Axum and is noticed chiefly on account of an inscription of some importance relative to the ancient geography of those regions. The Monumentum Adulantinum, first published in the 6th century in the Topographia Christiana of Cosmos Hindicoplestis, the modern town is called Zula. So, Zula is the modern town, at least in 1909. Alright, so we have uh, two more entries before break. So we have Udulamites, or Adul sorry, Adulamites. So Adulamites. In an attempt in the year 1866 by the government of Earl Russell and Mr. Gladstone to carry a measure which would have brought about a sweeping reduction of the elective franchise gave occasion to a large number of the more moderate liberals to secede from the Whig leaders and vote with the conservatives. The designation of Hadulamites was fastened on the new party, in consequence of Mr. Bright having, in the course of debate, likened them to the political outlaws who took refuge with David in the cave of Adullam. And that's in 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2. A comparison taken up by Lord Elko, who humorously replied that the band congregated in the cave was hourly increasing and would succeed in delivering the house from the tyranny of Saul, was Mr. Gladstone and his armor bearer, Mr. Bright. That's actually pretty funny. Um, I don't know the history of all of that, um, but I do understand the biblical reference and that that is hilarious. Okay, and uh, our last entry before break is adult. So adult, which is a noun, 
and we're going to see how the 1909 encyclopedia, uh, the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary, defines adult. An individual of either sex supposed to be full-grown as from 15, so 15 is what they're considering an adult, even though when we read adolescence, they still considered 15, ad, you know, the adolescent years. So this doesn't make any sense to me, but okay. As from 15 years of age upwards, that which has grown to maturity, 15-year-olds are definitely not mature, at least not in this century, Adjective, mature, grown-up, adultness, noun, state of being an adult. So I knew that would be really funny. And I do not believe the term adult was it? No, okay. So the term adult is not in the uh, Encyclopedia Americana at all. Which I found that interesting as well. Okay. And that was our last entry before break, so we'll be right back. And welcome back. While we were on break, I realized that um, I put the extra word in the wrong section. So it kind of made everything uneven. So to even it out, I've added an extra word in each section before break, except for the last section, which will still have five words, but that will get us to 54 words instead of the original 50. And then when I thought it was going to be 52, you know, so we've got a couple extra more, extra, extra more, extra more words. <laughs> we've got a couple of extra words. So we're going to have 54 today if all works out. So let's go ahead and get started. Our next word is uh, the 28th word, and that is adulterate. Adulterate. And that is in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. We're not going to get to the Encyclopedia Americana until word number 39. So um, after this upcoming break, we'll get back to the Encyclopedia Americana. So adulterate is a verb. It means <clears throat> to corrupt, to make impure by a base mixture, adulterating, adulterated, rendered impure or corrupt by a base mixture, adulteration, noun, the being corrupted or debased, the act of debasing by a foreign admixture, an article not pure and genuine, adulterer, noun, one who, also adulterant, noun, adulteratly, adulteratness, the quality or condition of being debased or corrupted, adulterer, that this is ER, the last one was OR, so adulterer with ER, noun, a man guilty of adultery. In scripture, in scripture, an idulterer, so the idol worship. Adulteress, noun, a woman guilty of adultery. Adulteress, so we have adulteress, res, R-E-S-S. And now we have adulteress, O-U-S, pertaining to adultery, unclean, adulteressly, Adultery, noun, violation of the marriage bed. In scripture, idolatry, so idol worship. Here's one, adulterin, so I-N-E, resulting from adultery, spurious, 
a child born from adulterous intercourse. Okay, so synonym of adulterate is to debase, defile, vitiate, sophisticate. Huh, that's interesting. Sophisticate, corrupt, contaminate, of adulterated, counterfeit, spurious, supposition, fictitious, sophisticated, etc. Okay, so our next word is adulteration of drugs and miscellaneous. And um, <clears throat> this, this definition is not that long. However, uh, there are several, several examples. We'll go over some of the examples. There are too many um, to go over all of it. And it looks like I left off part of the phrase. So it's adulteration of drugs and miscellaneous articles. So that's articles at the end of that. Okay. So, adulteration of drugs and miscellaneous articles. Indicated in general in the following list of chief articles adulterated and of their most usual adulterants. See further the titles of various articles. Okay, so, the drug is aconite and the adulterating substances, exhausted dried root. Okay, and the drug is animal charcoal. Adulterating substances, wood charcoal and earthy matter. And uh, let's try this one. But bismuth, oh, here we go. Bismuth, cybnitrite, or nitrate, calcium phosphate. So the adulterating substance is calcium phosphate. Um, castor oil is the drug. And the adulterating substances are olive and lard oils. <clears throat> I did not know that. <clears throat> it's very effective. <laughs> okay, and... Citrate of magnesia, so the adulterating substance is sodium tartrate. Here's something called Gregory's Mixture, and the adulterating product is magnesium carbonate. And let's, okay, here's, here's an interesting one. Oil of cacao, and the adulterating substance is tallow. And here uh, we have oil of lavender. Uh, the adulterating substance is oil of spike. I'm not sure what that is. Here's soap. And the adulterating substances are sand, sulfate of burrita, starch, etc. And here's one I don't recognize. Storax. So storax is the drug. Sawdust is the adulterating substance. And here we go, Vi volatile oils, such as essential oil of bergamot. Uh, we have fixed oils, chloroform, alcohol, etc. So that's, that's interesting. That's from the early 1900s. So I'd like to think we don't uh, do that to our drugs anymore. Or, and some of these are oils. I use oils. Um, <clears throat> oops. And let's see, we have adulterous articles. So this, instead of drugs, there's a list of articles. Remember, it's, uh, it's adulteration of drugs and miscellaneous articles. So let's, let's take a look at some of the miscellaneous articles. <clears throat> we have cement, and the adulterating substance is sand. And uh, let's look at another one. Uh, oil, 
Uh, it doesn't say what kind of oil. You know, there are different types of oil. Um, but the adulterating substance is cheaper varieties. That's what it says. Oh, here's here we go. Paper. So the substance is paper. And they put china clay, etc. And tobacco uh, is nitre or nitra and then glycerin and moisture. And white lead has sulfate of burrata and chalk. And then woolen cloth. So the adulterating substance of wool or woolen cloth are cotton fiber and shoddy. Yep, shoddy. Okay. And our next entry is adulteration of food. And it says seafood and drink. Also the titles of various articles of food and drink. Now, our next one, uh, 31st entry, is adultery. So, we have adultery. And uh, this definition is rather long. It has been well-defined as, quote, the voluntary sexual intercourse of a married person with a person other than the offender's husband or wife, end quote. And that's from Bishop on Marriage and Divorce, 415. By the Roman law, there was no adulterer, adultery unless the woman was married, and the same was the rule in Athens. It was in this limited form also that adultery was recognized by the Mosaic law. By the canon law, the husband and wife were placed on the same footing, and this view has been adopted by all the nations of modern Europe. In New Jersey, it has been decided that a married man does not commit this crime in having connection with an unmarried woman. Oh, well, that's not... Fair. But this has not been the prevalent doctrine in the United States, and it has never been doubted that the offense necessary to, to found the sentence of divorce is committed by unlawful sexual intercourse, equally whether the participants criminus were married or single. Adultery was recognized as a crime even before Moses, and it gives uh, Genesis 38.24, and it is probable that in affixing to it the punishment of death, Leviticus 20.10, he followed the prevailing custom. In Rome, the Julian Law, B.C. 17, imposed for forfeiture of goods and banishment on both adulteress and paramour. The husband, in certain cases, was permitted to kill the latter, and the father might sometimes kill both. Seems a little extreme, doesn't it? Uh, now we just get divorced. <laughs> In Athens, the laws concerning adultery resembled the earlier Roman legislation. In many European countries, adultery is still treated as a criminal offense, punishable with imprisonment, frequently accompanied with a fine. Lord Coke says that by the law of England in early times, adultery was punished by fine and imprisonment. This is 3 INST 306. During the Commonwealth, it was made a capital offense, Scobel's Acts, Part 2, page 121, but this law was not confirmed at the Restoration. In England, capital punishment was frequently inflicted. No, I'm sorry, that's Scotland. I don't know where in the world. Oh, I skipped to England from earlier. So, in Scotland, not England, in Scotland, capital punishment was frequently inflicted. At the present day, it is punishable in Great Britain only by ecclesiastical censor. And even this may be regarded as in destitute. But when 
committed by the wife has been regarded as a civil injury. <clears throat> the essentials to the offense are, one, that there shall be unlawful carnal connection, two, that the guilty party shall at the time be married, three, that he or she shall willingly commit the offense, Adultery in one of a married pair is held to be good cause for obtaining divorce by the innocent partner. The punishment for adultery differs in the different states. In some jurisdictions, the law deals with it as a crime. In others, is only a civil injury. See, separation, divorce. So that, that's uh, how the early 1900s saw it, and they went through the history of how other cultures saw it. And uh, sorry, I had to grab some coffee. It got cold. <laughs> and I don't have hot tea right now. Okay, our next entry is adumbrate. So adumbrate, verb, to cast a faint shadow, to sketch faintly. Adumbrating, adumbrated, admirable, or adumbral. Shady, Adam Bront, casting a faint shadow, adumbration, noun, act of shadow, act of shadowing forth, a faint sketch, an outline, an imperfect portrayal or representation. A, um, it says in H E R period. I'm not sure what that stands for, but we may figure it out with this definition. A figure on a coat of arms. Traced in outline only, or painted in a darker shade as the field or background. Okay. I still don't know what the H-E-R stands for, but there we go. Adumbrative, faintly representing typical. That is a cool word. And those of you who are artists probably already knew that word. I'm going to star it and put a little smiley face by it. Okay. And our next entry is Adenkate. So, adenkate, adverb, crooked, bent in the form of a hook, e.g. the bill of a parrot. Adencity, noun, crookedness, like a hook, a hooked form. Well, that's a good one, too. Okay, and our next entry is ad ungium. It's a phrase, ad ungium, and uh, it means... Exactly, nicely, thoroughly. The Romans, after social drinking, inverted the cup and suffered a drop of wine to rest upon the thumbnail, which drop they afterward absorbed with their lips in token of fealty. Oh, well, that's kind of neat. Okay, and here's another phrase. Ad unum omnes. Omnes. It's Latin. And it means all to a man. So, all to a man. Okay, and our next word is adur. It's a verb. It means to burn up. So, adur means to burn up. Okay, and it is a verb. Okay, and we, our next two entries um, are the same word. They're just two separate uh, entries for it. We have a dust. That's uh, not the dust channel, but it's A as an apple, D as in David, U as an umbrella, S as in Sam, T as in Thomas. 
So a dust. The first definition of a dust is an adverb, and it means, you may have guessed it, dusty. <laughs> it's just a fancy way of saying dusty, a dust. Okay, our second entry for a dust is also an adverb, but this one means scorched, very dry, as if by heat, fiery, looking as if scorched, sunburnt, a dusted, adverb, scorched, dried as by heat, a dustable, adverb, capable of being scorched, a dustion, dustion, okay, noun, act of scorching or drying, state of being scorched or dried. Okay, and with those, that, that cool definition, um, let's go to break. And welcome back. And for our 39th entry, we are going to begin with the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 and then go to the 1909 New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary to see what it, how it defines our next word. Before I do, though, I just have to mention, I, I know I've complained a few times, or not really complained, but pointed out, uh, the mistakes in the 1909 encyclopedia. However, there is now, I don't know if this is a mistake, but it's just odd at least, the page numbers in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 were doing just fine. They were going in order. It made sense. But now we go from page 156 uh, to page 157 through 161. That's what it says at the top. Um, and it goes, the next page is 162, 163, and so on and so forth. And then when you get, um, well, I don't remember where it is. But then suddenly the pages started, ah, oh, here it is. So when we get to page 181, so we've got 180, the 181, all good, right? Goes 181A, 181B, 181C, 181D, and G, F, and, no, I'm sorry, E, F. That really looked like a G for a second. Uh, e, F, and then G, H, uh, IJ, and I think you get the point. Uh, I'm not really sure why they did that. I mean, there were other, like, the word accounting didn't do that. It didn't have A, B, C, D with the same page number. They just moved on from page to page, which is, I think that's a logical thing to do. I guess partially, you know, about a quarter of the way through uh, the encyclopedia, they said, hey, let's change the page numbers. <laughs> so... That's what someone did, or maybe they had a different editor come in and say, hey, we're going to do this. I'm not going to look back at the others, so let's just work on this one. Anyway, it's just weird. So our next entry uh, is Advaita. Advaita. And the 1956 encyclopedia defines it as a term designated designating the Vendetta Philosophical School of India systemized by Shankaracharya, Shankara or Sankara, who flourished at the beginning of the 8th century. Its doctrines are that of that the human soul is not essentially different from God, 
but that it is imprisoned in the body from which at death it is released to return to the impersonal God and that the material world is not different from God. Its adherents are called Advita Vedan or confessors of monism. Okay, so that was a mouthful. So let's take a look at what the 1909 New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary has to say about it. So Advaita, Advaita, I mean, Advaita, it's Sanskrit, and it's a term equivalent to monism employed by Hindu philosophers to convey the idea of oneness, an idea allied to the doctrine that Brahma is the only absolute existence and that human souls are a part of the being of Brahma and are also are and are absorbed by it at death. The Vedas are in direct conflict with the idea of a separate personal existence. The enunciation of the Advaita doctrine began with the Veda hymns, was further developed in the Vedanta system, and was especially elaborated by Sankara, a commentator reputed to have lived in the 8th century after Christ. Um, I actually think the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary defined it better. Uh, they used the terms that are probably real, actually used instead of the terms that we're familiar with um, in the Western society. Okay, so just a little comparison there. And that reminds me, uh, just uh, again, if you want to hear another deep dive podcast, if you've got some words, it doesn't even have to be in A's. If you if you've listened to uh, the last podcast, uh, the last bonus podcast, you'll know that we didn't stick with the A's. Uh, I had some A's in there I was curious about, but it does not have to be from the letter A. It can be any word. So if you want me to do a deep dive, uh, it could be a phrase, a word, a person, a place, a thing, you know, whatever, just let me know. And if you want to remain anonymous, as you found out uh, during our bonus, last week, uh, you can. You can remain anonymous if you don't want your name said. So that's totally cool with me. Okay, so just throw that out there. And if you want to, if you want to do do that, go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select contact or contact me and just send me a line. All right, so our next entry is, looks like another phrase. Uh, it's ad valerum. And it's Latin, according to valor, or no, value, means applied to a duty charged on goods according to their value at place of shipment as sworn to by the owner and certified by customs appraisers, applied also to legal fees regulated by value of property concerned. Advance is our next word, so verb, advance. So we're going to advance on to the next entry. To put forward or before, to move or bring forward, to raise to a higher rank, to propose, to pay beforehand, to be promoted, to make improvement, a moving or bringing forward, promotion, a rise in value or price, a giving the forehand, a proposal, advancing, advanced, advancer, noun, one who puts forward, advancement, noun, the act of moving or being moved forward, a step or rise in rank or promotion, Advansive, tending to advance, in advance, before, in front, beforehand. Advanced guard, noun, in military. The, det the detachment of troops which precedes the main body 
of an army or division, advanced posts, small bodies of troops placed in front to watch and guard as against surprises or the approaches to the camp, advanced works, those formed beyond the laces of a fortification and under the protection of its guns. Synonym of advance, verb, to proceed, forward, promote, allege, adduce, assign, exalt, elevate, raise, enhance, accelerate, aggrandize, heighten, of advancement, it's a synonym of advancement, promotion, preferment, progression, improvement, etc. Okay, and as you would guess, the next entry is advantage. So advantage noun. And that means superiority in any state, condition or circumstance, gain, interest, advantaged, benefited, forwarded, advantageous, adverb, favorable, full benefit, advantageously, conveniently, profitably, advantageousness, noun, the quality or condition of being advantage, profitableness, note, the insertion of a D in advance and advantage is modern. In Old English, we have advance, which with a V as in victory, and advantage, again, V as in victory. Synonyms of advantage, advantage, benefit, profit, gain, interest of advantageous, profitable, beneficial, opportune, convenient, useful. Okay, and our next word actually has two uh, definitions or two entries. One is very short, so we're getting ready to do a very really short one. And then the other one is pretty long. It takes up over half of the page. I was just taking a look. It doesn't take up the next page, but over half of the, the page. All right, and that next entry is Advent. or So Advent, noun. The coming of Christ to the earth in the Roman Catholic and in the Episcopals and some other Protestant churches the four weeks before Christmas arrival as the advent of the empire. Advent, adverb also adventual, adverb relating to the season of advent. Okay, and that goes right uh, along with the next entry for advent. So this is advent or advent season, a term applied by the Christian church to certain weeks before Christmas. In the Greek church, the time of Advent comprises 40 days, but in the Roman church and those Protestant churches in which Advent is observed only four weeks. The origin of this observance as a church ordinance is not clear. The first notice of Advent as an appointment of the church is found in the Synod of Loretta, A.D. 524, at which marriages were interdicted from the beginning of Advent until Christmas. The four Sundays of Advent, as observed in the Roman Church and the Church of England, were probably introduced into the calendar by Gregory the Great. It was common from an early period to speak of the coming of Christ as fourfold, his first coming in the flesh, his coming at the hour of death to receive his faithful followers, according to the expressions used by the Apostle John, his coming at the fall of Jerusalem, Matthew 24.30, and at the Day of Judgment. According to this fourfold view of Advent, the Gospels were chosen for the four Sundays, as was settled in the Western Church by the Homilarium of Charlemagne. The, obse the observance of Advent is intended to accord in spirit with the object celebrated. 
as mankind were once called upon to prepare themselves for the personal coming of Christ, so according to the idea of the church year should represent the life of the founder of the church. Christians are exhorted during this festival to look for a spiritual advent of Christ. The time of the year when the shortening days are hastening towards the solstice, which almost, which almost coincides with the festival of the nativity, is thought to harmonize with the strain of sentiment proper during Advent. In opposition, possibly to heathen festivals observed by Ro ancient Romans and Germans, which took place at the same season, the Church ordained that the four weeks of Advent should be kept as a time of penitence, according to the words of Christ. Quote, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, end quote. During these weeks, therefore, public amuse, amusements, marriage festivals, and dancing were prohibited. Fasts were appointed, and somber garments were used in religious ceremonies. The Protestant church in Germany has also abstained from public recreations and celebrations of marriage during Advent. I have to say, that is uh, that boggles my mind, because uh, we don't do that um, in the Church of Christ. Um, we celebrate... Jesus' death and, and uh, resurrection and sacrifice every single week um, as as was commanded um, with, with the Lord's Supper. So to, to celebrate like this is just, it kind of blows my mind a little bit. Um, but that, that's really interesting. Um, so Advent of Seasons. Or Advent Seasons. Okay. Our next one is... Uh, goes right along with that, Advent Christians, and this is a much shorter definition. So Advent Christians, largest division of Adventists, see Miller, William, who expect Christ's speedy coming to reign on earth. They hold to the annihilation of the wicked and mostly believe that the soul is material and dies with the body. Well, that's sad. Only the followers of Christ attaining resurrection members, 26,500. So, in the early 1900s, uh, the members of that uh, were uh, 26,500. Okay, and our next entry is our 46th word, and that is advent adventitious. Adventitious. Sorry, that looked like an F for a second. I was like, no, that's a T. Adventitious, adverb, come to accidentally, not forming an essential part, unnatural, accidental or acquired, adventitiously, adverb, no, adjective, accidentally, adventitiousness, noun, the state or condition of being accidental or not forming an essential part. Okay, and the next entry, the next word, is a fun word, um, and we're going to stick with the 1909 version because this word is not in the 1956 Encyclopedia Americana. However, okay, sorry about that. Um, there were some noises outside and and the little Ellie Mae started barking and I was a little curious too. Uh, I believe I was saying, however, uh, the 1956 uh, version, uh, well, the Encyclopedia Americana does have two entries that the 1909 does not have. And uh, so we're gonna we're gonna go to the night we're gonna stay with the 1909 for one word, and then for the next two entries after that, we're gonna go to the 1956 Encyclopedia Americana before break. Okay, 
And the word we are looking at, like I said, is a fun word. So, so yay, I like this, I like this word. It's adventure. So adventure, uh, that's a noun. And it, it is a bold, a bold undertaking. A chance enterprise, a striking event. It, it's to risk on chance, to attempt or dare, to hazard. Adventuring, adventured, adventurer, one who risks a thing on chance, a bold, unprincipled schemer. Adventurous, a woman that maintains herself by false pretenses and in and in unconventional ways. Well, that doesn't seem fair at all. I don't like that. Okay, adventurous, O-U-S, bold, hazardous, hazardous, adventuresome, Somewhat bold, daring, inclined to risk, adventurously, boldly, daringly, adventurousness, noun, the state or condition of being adventurous, synonym of adventure, noun, chance, hazard, accident, event, occurrence, contingency, incident, of adventurous, enterprising, daring, courageous, foolhardy, rash, hazardous. Okay, so that is adventure, and, uh, Let's go to the 1956 Encyclopedia Americana for our next two. Okay, and our next two entries are actually books. So this is fun. I haven't heard of one, but I've heard of the second one. And I'm sure most of you have heard of the second one, maybe. Um, it's hard to tell now. But uh, the, uh, the uh, 48th entry is Adventures of Baron Munchausen, comma, the... So, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. And it says, Munchausen's adventures are a byword among travelers' tales for extravagant, methodical lying. They owe their name and first inspiration to Carl Friedrich Hernemus Baron Munchausen from 1720 to 1797 of Baden-Werder near Hanover, Germany, who had served in the Russian cavalry against the Turks from 1737 to 1739 and had had an adventurous middle life. He had been living on his German estate since 1760 and was renowned locally as a recounter. Among his auditors was a German scholar and writer, Rudolf Erich Rasp, who being in Straits in London in 1785, published anonymously some of these stories in a little book of 49 pages, Baron Munchausen's narrative of his marvelous travels and campaigns in Russia. This, with additions not by Rasp, reappeared in 1786 as Gulliver revived the singular travels, campaigns, voyages, and sporting adventures of Baron Munchausen. A free German translation by the poet G. A. Berger, 1786, gave the book international popularity. Rasp had drawn his materials not only from the Baron's talk, but from older sources, especially Bebel's Fasalti in 1508 and Linga's Delicke, 1765. I know I butchered those. The English edition of 1793 with a subtitle or The Vice of Lying Properly Exposed, <laughs> that is hilarious, had further editions and such continued to be made publisher's hacks for many years. The Baron, innocent source of all this, was far from relishing the reputation he had gained. Oh my goodness. 
<laughs> uh, for and veracity by such pranks of a lively fancy as cold, so bitter as to freeze music into a post horn or thaws that would leave the rider after a night's rest to find his horse hanging by the bridle from a steeple. Oh my goodness. Adolf Ellison, in a German edition of 1849, says his father found the Baron exceedingly uncommunicative when he visited him in 1795. And this entry is from Benjamin W. Wells. That sounds hilarious. How would you like to have a life so wild someone puts it in a book and not only do you exaggerate, but they exaggerate on top of your exaggerations and then that's what you become known for. Uh, I don't know if I would like that to happen to me, but it does sound funny. Uh, still, I, don't, I just don't know if I would like that, that if it happened to me. But anyway, let's move on to the next entry. This is entry 49. And this is another Adventures, and uh, it's Adventures of Tom Sawyer, comma, the. So the Adventures of Tom Sawyer. And this is a little more well-known than the other one. A novel by Samuel Langhorne Clemens, published in 1876 under his permanent literary pseudonym of Mark Twain. The story, set in a small Mississippi River town before the Civil War, deals with the adventures of an imaginative and enterprising boy. Tom plays hooky from school, offends his childhood sweetheart, Becky Thatcher, launches upon nocturnal sorties with his famous boon companion, Huckleberry Finn, and becomes accidentally involved in the murderous doings of a half-breed criminal named Injun Joe. In the end, Tom is reconciled with Becky Thatcher and with the forces of community law and order as represented at a trial implicating Injun Joe. There are other adventures, including the episode of Whitewashing the Fence, which has become a literary classic in its own right. In fact, um, if you like The Big Bang Theory, um, that's actually referenced um, with uh, Sheldon and Bernadette. So Bernadette references this to get Sheldon to do some household chores that Howard just doesn't want to do or doesn't have time for. Okay, the character of Tom Sawyer himself as the good-natured but irresponsible Huck Finn, the brightly sweet Becky Thatcher, and simple, faithful, and affectionate Aunt Polly, with whom Tom makes his home, are all drawn clearly, humorously, and with golden sympathy. Yeah, I do remember enjoying this even as a child. I don't know if I could read it now, but it, it was funny when I was a kid. As a result, the elusive spirit of youth is captured in their history, and no matter how melodramatic the plot may wax at times, there is a saline element of sanity and an ironic shrewdness in Twain's treatment of the characters that maintain the net tone of his narrative, this side of farce. <laughs> I like how that's described, this side of farce. Adverse, okay. Uh, as a deeply nostalgic and poetic recreation of the author's own youth on the Mississippi in what he felt was a vanished era, the novel has retained its appeal for successive generations of children and adults alike and has come to be regarded along with its sequel, Huckleberry Finn, as one of the greatest of American novels. Okay, so with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. For our last five words, we are going to be uh, strictly in the 1909 New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary. And uh, our first word actually has two entries, and it is adverb. 
So adverb is our next entry, and the first one, uh, the first entry is a noun, and it means in grammar, a word used to modify the meaning of a verb, an adjective, an adverb, a clause, or a sentence. Adverbial, pertaining to an adverb, adverbially, used as an adverb. And the second entry for adverb is a part of speech joined to a verb to an adjective or another adverb as an adjective for analogous purposes to a noun. From the frequency with which adverbs are joined to verbs, they get their name. An adverb cannot be the subject, the copula, or the predicate of a proposition and is therefore a secondary part of speech, logically speaking. According to their significance, Signification, adverbs may be divided into one, adverbs of place as where, towards, number two, of time as ever, immediately, number three, of degree as very, almost, number four, of manner as thus, wisely, number five, of belief or doubt as perhaps, no, etc. It is commonly said that some adverbs admit of comparison, as if in this respect they differed from the adjectives. The truth is that adverbs admit of comparison under the same limitations, neither more nor less, that they restrict the comparison of adjectives. Thus, soon, so the word soon, is compared as naturally as the word hard. If, if the word now or the word thus cannot be compared, neither can the word wooden nor circular. And in both cases, for the same reason, the sense forbids it. The laws of euphony prevent a like the word miserably, miserable, and miserably from being compared grammatically, i.e. by the addition of er and est, but both admit of logical comparison by the use of the words more and most. A large class of adverbs in English are formed from adjectives by annexing the syllable ly, whose meaning is that of the word like. Most languages have some such means of distinguishing the adverb from the adjective except the German, in which they are alike. Adverbs in general may be looked upon as abbreviations of phrases. Thus, here equals in this place, and the word then equals at that time, the word wisely equals like a wise man. Combinations of words that can thus be represented by a single adverb and all combinations that are analogous, though they may have no single word equivalent to them, are called adverbial expressions. Okay, so there we go. That's all you need to know about adverbs. So if you're still in school and uh, you're studying adverbs, well, there is a very lengthy definition for you. Okay, and our next word is adverse. So we had adverb and now we have adverse. And uh, it means opposed to acting in contrary directions kind of like uh, children sometimes, <laughs> contrary to, unfortunate, calamitous, in botany, opposite, adversely, in an adverse manner, unfortunately, adverseness, noun, state or quality of being adverse, opposition, adversity, noun, ill fortune, continued calamity, adversary, noun, one opposed to, an enemy, adversative, Marking a difference or opposition, synonym of adverse, contrary, opposite, inimical, hostile, repugnant, adverse, unwilling, reluctant. 
of ad adversary, enemy, antagonist, opponent, foe, of adversity, distress, calamity, misfortune, misery, affliction. Okay. So we have two more uh, words before we log off today. Um, but before I get to those next two words, I want to thank you again for listening. Uh, I have fun. I hope you have fun too. And again, if uh, you want to do another, if you want me to do another deep dive uh, podcast, uh, please let me know what word you want me to look up. Or it could be a phrase as well. Um, I I highly, highly, highly enjoyed uh, the last podcast, uh, the bonus podcast. It was so much fun. Uh, some of those words were just uh, were just crazy. <laughs> and I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you guys giving me those words. So yeah, just go ahead and hit me up at theoaktreejourneys.com. If you don't want to give me a word, you just want to make a comment or so, just uh, select contact and, and send me a line. And our next word is advert. So we had adverse and now we have advert. And there is a little line because originally we were going to stop at adverse uh, until we until I made that mistake and found out I skipped a, an entire word, which happens. Okay, so ignoring my little line here and going down to the word advert, it is a verb. It means to turn the attention to, to refer to, to attend to, to consider. Advertent, attentive, heedful, adverting, adverted, advertently, advertence, noun, also advertency, noun, attention or regard to, regard, synonym of advert, to regard, attend, allude, refer. Well, that's a fun word. Okay, and our next word is advertise. So advertise is a verb, it means to give notice. To inform, to insert a notice in the newspaper. I've got to look more into advertising because uh, I've got you know, my grandfather's book and I've got another book coming out. So I'm told that writers have to advertise, 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 get into marketing. Um, you don't, you, your job is not just to write and it's not just to edit. It's not just to find editors. Uh, it's not just to rewrite and all of that. It is to market, market, market. And that is a hard one. Um, so I have to get in the mindset of advertising and marketing if I want to make it. That's uh, what all of the advice is giving. Um, so this word definitely speaks to me. <laughs> it's a little scary though. I, I've got to tell you, even though it, it's it's just a it's just a word. It's just advertised, just a word. It's a little scary. Um, but let, let's continue. Okay, so advertising, give, giving advice, inserting notices in a newspaper, advertised, advertisement, int intimation, advice, intelligence, a notice in a newspaper, advertiser, noun, one who advertises, common name of a newspaper, synonym of advertise, to publish, announce, promulgate, proclaim, inform, appraise, or prize. So there we go. That is our last word for today. Next week, we will begin with the word that goes right along with it, which is advertisement. Um, so there we go. We have 54 words today. Thank you so much for sticking with those 54 words, even though they were originally going to be 50. Um, just a couple of things before I let you go. Uh, don't forget, I am I have created a Teespring store. 
uh, have not gotten the kinks worked out of my what I want on the shirts yet. So I'm still working on that. But as soon as I get the Teespring store up and running, uh, it will be on wherever I can post it. So I will let you know my podcast. But right now it's TBD, uh, to be determined. Uh, for a full list of all the words we've gone over in today's words, go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select Encyclopedia Challenge. And if you want today's words, uh, scroll all the way down because they are in alphabetical order. Now at the top, you will see my very first bonus video. Um, and I cannot get that off. <laughs> I can't put it where bonuses go. So that's just kind of hanging out there. Um, but then you've got the prologue. I did read the prologue of both encyclopedias. So if you haven't uh, seen those yet, uh, go ahead and hit those up. They are not in the podcast. Uh, they are on YouTube though. And to get to that, you can go to, uh, click on encyclopedia challenge from my website, theoaktreejourneys.com. And don't forget, uh, the quote of this month is by Jim Quick in his book Limitless, uh, which I highly recommend getting. I've got it, and it is on my to-read list. I, I'm very excited about it. I got it a few months ago, and I just, I've had have so many books to read. I just have not had a chance to read it yet, but I cannot wait. I am super, super excited. But the quote from Jim Quick's Limitless One of my core beliefs is that human potential is one of the only infinite resources we have in the world. Most everything else is finite, but the human mind is the ultimate superpower. There is no limit to our creativity, imagination, determination, or ability to think, reason, or learn. So there we go. And with that, I bid you adieu.